Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got Angelo Sakarakis. Angelo was born in France of a Greek father. Angelo graduated from Oregon State University with a Bachelor of Science and International Business and Spanish. He had a successful professional career at the highest European level. And in 2019, he teamed up with a close friend, Dominique Bucasa, to develop an extraordinary athletic and cultural program known as TCB Camps. As a three-on-three basketball pioneer, he committed to share all of his experience of this to now an Olympic discipline through the Enya Elite Three-on-Three Academy. Now a sports consultant for specialized media, motivational speaker for businesses, and a specialist in skill development for amateur and or professional athletes. He is the founder and CEO of Enya Elite. So welcome onto the show, Angelos. Thank you very much for having me. I like the fact that you... You want to add the little Greek pronunciation to my name. It is the way it is. I guess the, the Greeks will call me Agelos. The, the European and international people will call me Angelo. Either way, it works. How you doing, man? I'm very well, thank you. So let's go right into the, the, the beginnings of your story, Angelo. What was the precursor for you getting into basketball in the first place? Well, it's my... Uh, my deceased brother, uh, rest in peace, uh, who uh, literally gave me the virus of U.S. sports and just sports in general. Uh, um, I kind of played all the sports that uh, French kids usually play. I played football. I'm not going to call it soccer. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do it. It's not soccer. How are you going to call it a sport, play with, with defeat soccer and play a game called American football that you mainly throw the ball and call it football. I'm sorry. Football is football. <laughs> so uh, I played football. I played tennis. Um, and then uh, my, my brother having all these posters in his room, those magazines and watching the NBA on TV. Uh, eventually I fell upon a, a playoff game in the 91 NBA playoffs between the Bulls and the Knicks. And I saw Michael Jordan. I saw Scottie Pippen and Pat Ewing and all these guys. And he just spoke to my soul, something like that. I guess it just was made for me. And um, once I started dribbling a ball, there was no going back. And uh, I never looked back since. So what's your take on on skill development? Because obviously kids nowadays will, I'm going to generalize with this statement, just get you know, highlight clips of maybe 30 yeah. seconds or less, or, you you know, the, the, the types of the YouTube hype reels. Of- oh, and the, the Instagram gen as well. Like, yeah, you, I, I see you where you're going lost, with that. You think the skill, the, the skill set is a lost art and that is why the NBA is now looking to Europe for their players? Well, I think that, Basketball is such a global game now, and with the access of technology, you can share knowledge, you can share experience, you can learn from all places of the world. So the the American trainers um, definitely find um, creativity and inspiration into the European style of play, the EuroLeague. That's why they, they work on the Euro step, they work on footwork, they try to add the the shooting touch to the to the daily routine and obviously 
the the NBA American basketball is the ultimate standard for everybody else. So everybody's trying to catch up. Everybody's trying to come closer to what the NBA represents and to the level of their athletes and, and professional basketball players. So the gap is getting thinner and we can see it now. Uh, even uh, when the team USA sends NBA guys, if it's not like creme de la creme, they're definitely in danger of loss. And that's the beauty of it. And you see more and more international players. And when I say international players, I'm not even talking European. I'm talking about African descendants. I'm talking about uh, Asian. Uh, you have Achimura, uh, the Japanese guy in, uh, in, in Washington playing for the Wizards. You have Joel Embiid from Cameroon. You have Siakam. You have all these guys from Nigeria that are flooding the NBA and, and European basketball. And that's the beauty of it. It's like you, you have no more fr frontiers. You have no more barriers that you had before. Before you had those cliches of European basketball players being soft and not being capable of playing in the NBA because they were not athletic enough and all that. This has disappeared completely. You see Jokic being the NBA. You see Antetokounmpo coming out from the second division in Greece and, and dominating uh, and Nowitzki and all these guys that paved the way to now uh, guys getting drafted really, really high, regardless of their nationality, regardless of all of that. So when it comes to personal training, I think that um, nothing has been lost. It's just mixed in translation. I think that we get lost in all this content and all these guys using those platforms to promote themselves as personal trainers and, and specialists and experts when they truly are not, but some of them are. And that's the thing. You have to be able to find your way through the bullshit and the real stuff. But at the end of the day, you have those NBA guys that have themselves on the platform and you can follow them. You can uh, get inspiration from them. They give out a lot of great content and um, just, just got to be careful who promotes himself as a trainer and who has the credentials of a real trainer and who does not. But that's the, the beauty and the ugliness of the social medias and, and those uh, platforms that enable such uh, access to everything. Well, that's probably the difficulty with every industry. It's, it's, if it's not, um, to a certain extent, um, scrutinized and put under the thumb to some extent, you're going to have, and it's the same in, in the industry I work in, a celebrity can endorse a product and never take it. So thus, yeah. if you were to be, well, manipulated is a, is a strong word because of oh, yeah, the misguided. way you look at them. Yeah, misguided. You're going you're you're to follow what they say because ultimately, oh, I, I perceive this person as, quote unquote, a God. Thus, I'm going to take the, what their word is gospel. Um, it's probably great talking to a Greek person like that because ultimately, you know, the historic <laughs> historical thing of 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 uh, you know deities and things like that. Obviously, Greek history is, is very strong for that. But coming back to you, Angelos, and and the transition from, I'm assuming you decided on five on five initially with basketball, to your transition to three on three. What was what 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 was what was it that drew you to making that transition? Well, I kind of like the fact that I could have both at the same time. And I, I didn't want to replace one by the other. I think that they're very complementary to each other. Um, to me, 3x3 is probably the best tool out there to improve exponentially, faster, 
because you get more repetitions at everything. You, you can't hide. You have to, to take on the challenge offensively to create something for yourself and defensively to not um, uh, give in to the, to the challenge, to not be afraid of putting your butt down, moving your feet and, and trying to stop your, your opponent because the dual aspect of the game is much more emphasized in 3x3 than it is in 5-on-5. Five five. And see. I love that. Because all the guys that I know that that um, experienced 3x3 came back in 5-on-5 five five better, improved, more confident, uh, more aggressive. And that's the beauty of this sport. So the main thing for me was that when I had the opportunity to represent the, the French national team in, uh, in, in international competitions, I jumped on the opportunity. Any opportunity for you to wear the, the, the national jersey, national team jersey, is, 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 a, bless, is a blessing. And... Um, I, it literally took took me took my heart. It, it literally it it spoke to me as well. It, it's just such a great discipline. Everything I love about basketball, the creativity, the challenge, and also the independence that you have in this sport because you don't get coaching in uh, in games. You you're autonomous in your in, in your function. So that's what I like about it. You prepare with the coaching staff before competition. You play, you go out there, you debrief after games and after competition, trying to rebuild or improve on things that you can. And that's the beauty of it. So that's literally what happened to me in, in 2012. They presented me with the opportunity to, to, to play this new sport, this new discipline that was just being pushed forward by the FIBA. And uh, once I, I, I discovered it, my, my body was in shock because the, the cardio involved in this sport is absolutely unreal it's like you you have your lungs and heart just jumping out your body even though you're in great shape you're like an elite athlete in your field in five on five you start playing 3x3 and you <laughs> discover that your cardio is not that good <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's something completely different and um i transitioned to 3x3 in the sense of becoming a real ambassador of the sport and and taking on this opportunity to promote it and also develop activities within the 3x3 world but I still am very involved in five on five. I, I commentate games for French media and international media. I, I collaborate with FIBA 3x3 on, uh, on their international competition. So I'm literally having a foot in both, in both worlds. And I think that's the best way to do it. I don't think we should look at them as enemies or, or far cousins. They are truly brothers. They're, they're great. They go hand in hand. They complement each other. And of course, you have now guys that are professional in 3x3, guys that still are specialized in 5 and 5 because they earn more money in it. But I think that as a basketball player, both together, it's like cross-training almost. You're benefiting a lot from the 3x3 basketball discipline. Do you think, and this is a conversation I had with my basketball coach, do you think with obviously the likes of social media, media pressure, it's a quicker, obviously, it's only 10-minute game. Do you think in the long run, the five-on-five five is under threat because obviously it's been a 40-minute game, people's attention spans, if they're not a purist, they can't stay involved in a game for, unless it's close. Say say the likes of, I think the most entertaining game of the Olympics was the semifinal between the French and the Slovenians because it went down to the last shot. That yeah. that was that was pretty much nip, back of the foremost of the game and and obviously the yeah. Slovenian make it there in the final. Right. Um, do you think 
And the point my coach made was because it's so high tempo three on three, three on three. Yeah. That the media will kind of go, well, we can just jump from one sport to the next. We'll go into three on three basketball, 10 minutes over, done. We'll move on to something else. Whereas generally five on five, it's, it's, it's not a highlight. It, it'll jump in and you've missed maybe five, 10 minutes of the game because obviously they, they're, they're doing something else. Do you think there's a definite worry that with people being very hyper Yeah, they're driven towards something shorter. They want things like available to them right away. And, and you're pointing something interesting because you don't really have this worry with European basketball, especially the EuroLeague. Because all those games are so intense and the, the fan base is so passionate that just the game itself is an experience. Just going out there, the vibe, the, the atmosphere, it's completely different from a regular season game in the NBA where you don't really have this competitiveness that you want to have with professional sports that, that is found in the fourth quarter. When, okay, we've played through three quarters. Now the game is pretty close. We still need to, to rack up wins. So now this fourth quarter, we're going we're gonna to bring more intensity because they have to cruise through the whole regular season. It's 82 games. It's, it's extremely difficult. So the pace at which they play day in and day out, it all depends on the matchups. Is it a nationally televised game? Like all these different things come into play when guys go out there and give their best or not. With EuroLeague, each game is so important because – you have two opportunities against an opponent. You play them once at home, you play them once on the road, and it's only uh, 16 teams. And at the end of the day, only eight of them go to the playoffs, so you're fighting to get a playoff spot. And if you're in the top four, you got a home court advantage, which plays a huge part in their success. So it's, it's a different culture. So I, for European basketball, I'm not worried. But for American entertainment – you're pointing on something important now because for American entertainment, 3x3 is definitely seductive. It has a lot of, a lot of incentives. And the way the league goes with like the Ice Cube, the big three uh, professional league, to me, they're still not giving their, their best um, like formula because they're still slow pacing it too much because of the old guys playing it. It's not the real 3x3, FIBA 3x3 uh, game. It's not as exciting as it could be, uh, but they have a lot of interesting things like the four-point uh, spots, four-point line. That's something that maybe we could bring in the, the, the official game, and I, I love that. Um, I think the, the, the answer is probably right in the middle, but the main thing is can you really fo focalize on only one 10-minute game? Because the 3x3 thing is an event. It's a Masters, it's a European Cup, World Cup, and you have all these different teams playing each other. And, and it's just a lot of games back to back. But what's interesting is that it's always a new story. It's kind of like it's always a fourth quarter that, you, that you're witnessing. That's the beauty of it. It's a fourth quarter because you have 10 minutes to win it. And it can even, can even be less than that because first team to 21. So if you have the thunder falling from above, all those guys shooting twos and just boom, 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 the game is over 21-15 in four minutes. Like, what happened? What, what, what went down? It just went so fast. That's the spectacular aspect of 3x3. And um, I, I'm not worried about 5-on-5 five because five, at the end of the day, you don't have to be a purist to admire and, and, and love basketball. 
he, five on five still has a lot to offer. But to me, it's, it's building a product where you don't want the guys to coast. You want the guys to give your full effort from the first minute to the last. And in the NBA, the regular season doesn't offer that. But in Europe, each game is so important that it does. So th that's what that's my take on it. Do you think also the rivalries with your league? So say oh, yeah. obviously the Turks and the Greeks, um, Real Madrid, Barcelona. Do you think obviously that plays a factor in obviously the history as well? Because ultimately they would they don't want to be relegated by for sure their, their arch rival. They don't want to be relegated, they don't want to be beaten. Uh it's like a Lakers Celtics rivalry almost every every week, and that's beautiful because. You have the, the rivalry between countries. So Spanish teams don't want to lose against uh, Greek teams and, and Italian teams don't want to get beat by French teams and all of them, literally. like th This competition is, is like a uh, state competition, like all the states. Which one has the better state? Oh, California is better than, than New York and whatever you can think. That's the, kinda, that's the concept that always pushes the envelope forward, that always makes it that it's you're never going to lose that excitement. Either you're going to have the inner country rivalry, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Panathinaikos, Olympiacos, and, and Sheska against, uh, against all the other great teams like Real Madrid and stuff, because they've met so many times in the final four and, and it's the prestige. How many, how many uh, European titles can you rack up and how do you compare historically to the other greats? So, that's that's definitely something that keeps it so entertaining but american basketball has great history american basketball has great rivalries uh when when i'll say the warriors play the lakers it's interesting when um you have um i'll say like uh chicago playing detroit you got the Cavs and the Warriors at, uh, at some point for like five, six years, it, was, it became a rivalry. You have a lot of rivalries that stand. And in college basketball, you have it every single weekend. You find it even more because of the, the long run of those uh, NCAA conferences and, and the history between all these universities. So at the end of the day, you can find it in America. But once again, once you play so many games, it's kind of like baseball. Baseball, unless you're a true fan of baseball, you're not going to sit and just watch baseball on TV for two hours. You don't have the time and luxury to do that. And going to an event, you follow the game half-assed because you're going out there with your friends or family, going to have drinks, eat nachos, and just eat, enjoy the event. It's an event. And unless you see something historical like a no-hitter or, or um, a great rivalry, Dodgers-Giants or Red Sox uh, against the Yankees, it's not going to bring you that, that entertainment. It's more so an outing and it's fun, but it's not going to give you the chills that you're going to have once you go to Oaka in Athens and it's 18,000 people chanting like shirtless, body painted. And, and it's, it's another atmosphere. It's another world. And the, the, fan, the fanatic base in Europe is something completely different. And all the American guys that play EuroLeague that, that went on podcasts and, and, and talked about it, shared about how much more pressure you have, how difficult it is. You feel the intensity. You even don't feel safe walking out the gym once you win uh, abroad, like uh, on the road. So 
Yeah, man, I know I'm, I'm almost taking a tangent. I have so many things that I could share about this thing, but you, you're asking great questions. But wouldn't, for those players, it be like a hostile environment in, for, for like Division One college, but obviously ramped up 10, 100 times more? Yeah, I think you, you find this much more in college basketball than in the NBA. Because if you play the Civil War, Oregon, Oregon State, it, it's something. You got fans waiting for you outside the hotel and I, before you make it to the gym, they, they surround the bus, they boo, they yell, and it feels very European. It feels really Greek. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I've lived that rivalry and I'm like, wow, that's the kind of rivalry that, that I wish would have more. If you got Nuke North, North Carolina, you got that. And, and, and we're ma- naming the, the ones that are the most renowned and famous, but you have those rivalries across the, the, the whole country. Even in Division Two, you got those. In Division Three, you got those. You, you have those throughout all the states. It's not like you go in California, you're going you're gonna to find 12, 15 rivalries. You're going to have San Bernardino, Cal Poly Pomona in the Division II, uh, um NCAA basketball. You're going to have those where the intensity, the rivalry, the, the pride in winning and beating the opponent is just as big as it is for all these people that are more on national scene. So that's the beauty of college sports. That's the beauty of basketball and sports in general. You, you have those everywhere, no matter the level, even on a regional level. And when you think and you play the recreational league or uh, if you have uh, company leagues, uh, all these different businesses, of the same area playing each year, the, the business cup, or I don't know what you call it. This, there is a rivalry. There is pride. Oh, I don't want Amazon to beat us again this year. Like that's what it is. <laughs> so uh, I, I love it. And um, I, I wish we could have more intensity in the, with the regular season in the NBA, but I understand why it's difficult to find it. How would you change that other than curtailing the season? Yeah, it's difficult. I think what I like is they're trying to mix it up. That's the reason why now they, they added the, the play-in uh, to qualify into the playoffs in the NBA. So that, that's added, added value to another six teams in the league, six, seven teams that now are in the bubble, kind of like in the NCAA, those bubble teams that can, that can get selected through the committee or not. That's the beauty of it now because you have these teams from 6 to 11, 12 that compete to get into those planes and they have an opportunity to join the, the party. So the, the rankings at the end of the year, you can't tank as much because before, if you're 10th, 11th, you know you have no shot at any postseason. So you're literally just stopping at that point. And it's like, are we tanking or are we too far from being in position to get those high draft picks. So I guess we're going to play till the end. That's kind of like the way that it was going before, but with the play-ins added, those teams that are 11th, 12th, 10th, they can jump in and maybe get that last spot to go and, and, and play to qualify in the playoffs. So you have less tanking in that matter. And the games are taken more seriously because each regular season game brings you a step closer to maybe getting a spot in that. So that helped for sure. They talked about adding a tournament mid-season with prize money for players. But what I don't like about it is that you, you'd put the love of the game and the, and the competitiveness um, as like with the motivation being a paycheck when 
for me, motivation should be the competition itself, never, never, never anything else. So at least they're trying, and I, I appreciate that. The playing, uh, the playing addition, I think, is positive for the league. And uh, you can't truly revolutionize everything. The NBA is such a product that seduces so many countries. It's, it, 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 it's such a brand name worldwide now. You have the all-star game that's that's lost a little bit its value because the guys for a while were not playing anymore, but they, they're playing now for charities. So they're actually trying to win because there is money for a charity. So it's they're trying to do these things that add value and add competitiveness. And uh, I think that's the right thinking. But you said competitiveness, Angelo. What about people obviously making super teams? Because you talk about you talked about the very, very beginning. You know, nah. the Bulls and the Knicks. Yes. You wouldn't see Patrick Ewing going to the to the Bulls. You would, and, and obviously the, right. the old players have talked about it. They would rather face each other mano a mano. You're in my way. I'm going to beat. Ultimately, obviously, Jordan didn't win anything until Pippen came along. But that's a trade. That's not necessarily. I'm going to get with a group of guys. My friends, Not even my buddies. I, they were building themselves drafting guys. Um, the only trade the Bulls made was to send out, uh, send away Charles Oakley for Bill Carfax. Pippen was drafted. Horace Grant was uh, was drafted, and the B.J. Armstrong was drafted. Stacy King was drafted. Scott Williams was drafted. Like all these guys that ended up being on the first three P team in the Bulls. They were all drafted and, and Scottie Pippen built themselves. That's kind of like the Warriors. Um, the Warriors are not in the conversation of the super teams because they built themselves that way. They, they drafted Steph Curry. They added on Clay Thompson. They drafted Draymond Green and they, they didn't draft them high. If you remember, Steph Curry was picked seventh and Clay was further than that. And Draymond was like 40th or 30th or something like that's what you understand to me that's what i like and appreciate about the warriors is they built themselves to become this dynasty or this great team the super teams that you're mentioning the 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 addition of free agents and the camaraderie like kind of hey come come play with me we'll win a title together which didn't exist as you mentioned i don't really like it but i deal with it in the sense of since everybody now does it and the the mindset is that everybody's trying to add on stars to 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 each other but the the truth is does it truly work and at the end of the day i'm looking at a team like milwaukee that just won the championship middleton was drafted Giannis was drafted the only trade they made was to get drew holiday and at the end of the day, Drew was not an all-star. He's an all-star caliber player. He's probably the best two-way player or one of the three best two-way players in the whole league. But it's just smart recruiting. You can't really call it a super team because to me, Drew was not an all-star and Milton built himself into an all-star. So, and they won. And when you, when you see all these super teams building themselves at the end of the day how successful is it yes the lakers won it in the bubble and it was kind of a weird vibe because the the way it happened uh, okay but how are they going to win it again this year because you saw what happened last year 
And they had that super team. They added Westbrook and Carmelo, and they brought back Dwight Howard this year. Okay, the Lakers look great, but I think they're lacking a little bit of shooting. And at the end of the day, are they going to do what's necessary? And are they going to be able to play? And is LeBron going to be that dominating? Is Anthony Davis going to stay healthy? You have all these questions. So super teams, yes and no. To me, you still have comp competitive teams, like a, a team like Portland with CJ McCollum and, and uh, Damian Lillard. They're not that far from being really competitive. You look at the Nuggets. Porter Jr. got drafted. Murray got drafted. Jokic got drafted. You see what I mean? It's like, at the end of the day, it does not concern so many teams. The only real super teams in the league today are the Lakers and the Nets. And after that, everybody may be, be trying, but they can't have the sex appeal that those teams have on the, in the New York market or the, uh, the, the California market. So... I think that we're making it a bigger deal than it actually is, even though I do agree with you that I wish we would stay more with this mindset, kind of like what Yanis has, Yanis Antetokounmpo. Like, I'm not training with any of you motherfuckers. I'm not trying to be your friends, uh, your friend, and I'm not trying to be buddy-buddy. I'm going to try to beat everybody out and may the best win. I wish you the best of luck and health, but I'm still trying to beat your ass up. That's what it is. And that old school mindset, there is a mix. I think you have both in the league. Damian Lillard is that, is that way as well. And you have a lot of stars that are that way. And I'm not getting too confused with a guy like Westbrook or, you know, uh, Kawhi that went back to their, their home market. They went, they went home. They didn't really care. Had home been Sacramento, they, they'd gone back to Sacramento. That's what I mean. So, yes, it's the Lakers. But when you think of it, Kawhi had the opportunity to join both the Lakers and the Clippers and the Lakers never really were an option. He didn't want to go play with LeBron. So he went, he went home, but playing for the Clippers and he brought who Paul George with him, who's his friends with. So yeah, Paul George, Kawhi, that's only two. You see what I mean? It's, it's I'm not too worried about it. And it's a new culture. You have, to, you have to live with your times. It's a new culture. Now the guys don't compete against each other the same way in the sense of making it publicly known they hate each other. They're like, no, we're friends. We're okay with each other. But once they play in the, against each other in the playoffs, they're still trying to beat each other up. So I, I don't think we should make it a bigger deal and, and focus on the beauty of the game. That's, that's one way to look at it. And, and it's, it's an honest opinion. I think obviously the yesteryear there's probably less player power than there is today. Of ultimately, if I don't want to sign with you, I don't have to. I'll yeah. become an un un unrestricted free agent, and you can't do anything about it. Um, based on what whatever the reason, the team's no good. Uh, the the long term plan is poor. Or ultimately, it's a car. Or well, the Lakers were a car crash a few years ago. <laughs> in terms of externally, it's 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 still lucrative in terms of uh, the brand of yeah. uh, and and the history. Whereas, think of Bradley Bill. Think of Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill did not leave the Wizards, and he's averaging thirty-one points per game, and he he's all-star caliber. And and think about Devin Booker. Devin Booker stayed in in Phoenix, but you, you have to be able to surround those guys with enough talent. And at the end of the day, those guys are still patient. When you think of it, Demi Lillard has been more than patient and Bradley Bill has been more than patient. So 
I don't think that they're just trying to run away from a challenge of building something for themselves. I just think that you have to be in a timeline that is quick enough that they don't just waste their prime chasing that, that, that dream. So when I see the Lakers with those guys that are 35 years old and past, I don't consider that a super team anymore. That's not the, the, the Carmelo averaging 25 points per game from the Knicks. It's not the Dwight Howard that was second in MVP votings behind LeBron. Like, it's not the same guys. They're role players now. And yes, Westbrook is an MVP and he's still an all-star. And yes, LeBron and AD. Okay, this is the real super team that we can mention because of that three, big three. And you had Kyrie and KD and, and James Harden in, in Brooklyn. And the way it happened also, I didn't like at all. The way Harden forced himself out of Houston and, and the ethic of it is not is not what I identify to at all. But besides those two examples, you have none. You have none. You can't say that Miami is a super team because they, they, they built themselves to be that way. They drafted Adebayo. They drafted Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. And yes, they added on Jimmy Butler, but the, the, the Sixers messed it up. They had it, they had it all good. They just didn't believe in it. And that's their fault. So he was a free agent and he signed wherever he wanted, but Pat Riley is a great, great GM and president. So that's what I want to point out. When you really look deep into it, guys are patient. They're not as eager as we make it to be to, to, to build super teams. I think that we have many more examples of guys being patient and hoping that they can build their legacy in the team that they, that drafted them. It's just too bad when they, they, they can't get it done, like the Wizards or probably Portland. Comes down to how strong each division is at a point in time. You you mentioned the nineties. The East is very very dominant. Obviously, well, I'm a Knicks fan, and and so is my dad. <laughs> they haven't been relevant since I was a kid. But in, in you must feel pretty happy now. They they're back. They're they're back in a, on the, on the front end, and, and it's exciting. It's an exciting time in New York right now. Yeah, but it's still a hard market to please in terms of. You thinking how many times in my life? Well, if I use my dad because he's obviously a little bit older, how many titles they haven't won that they did that they've been there or thereabouts? Be it if I was to use me, probably the nineties, the Bulls don't exist. They probably they potentially win. I can't say probably win a title. They more than likely win a title because that team's not in the way. Right. Right. You're right. That, you know, the Bulls, they had an opportunity with the, the D-Rose, the Waldang, Joachim Noah and them, and they, they had a great team, and they were not far. They were not far from, from getting it done. At least they were a real contender at that moment. Uh, the Knicks right now, they're looking much better. They, they, they've recruited smart. They added uh, pieces that respond to some of their uh, weaknesses. Like Fournier brings outside shooting. He's a, he's a, he's a scoring guard. Uh, he's a competitor and he likes the big market. He wants that kind of pressure. So that's good. Uh, Kemba is at home. So you got to love that. And they, they got D Rose being able to be the sixth man galore. So that's great. Um, Hey man, I, it, it's exciting. I think the East is back on top. I think the the conference is stronger now than the West, and that's that's good to see because you you never want to you want to balance things out. You want the competition to be uncertain, 
And even though you have those two great teams out east, uh, Milwaukee and, and, and Brooklyn, and I've seen Giannis Antetokounmpo working hard on his shot. He's triggering his shot quicker now. His release is quicker. He's, he's triggering from higher. So if he finds consistency, the whole NBA and the whole world is in trouble. But um, yeah, man, like you've never, you haven't seen the East as strong as it's been the past two years now. And well, it's an evolution. It's, it's yeah. it can't it can't be. Well, if you if you put obviously the Celtics and and the Lakers on a, on a pedestal, they were most of their championships when there were eight or ten teams in in the league. Obviously, that's going to help to be able to to rack up the titles and obviously all the other other teams are well not relatively new but in terms of yeah i mean you have new teams and you have added teams throughout the the, all these all these generations but to me and and you're pointing something interesting it's kind of like when you look at the um, the champions league in football Yes, I said football people, not soccer. Yes, get used to it. <laughs> but uh, the Champions League, it's so much harder now to win a Champions League because you have all these great market, great league teams, all the best teams from the Premier League in England, all the best teams from Spain, all the best teams from Italy. Yeah, but that that's this more predicates on money though. That's that's yes, greed, greed on the teams part and greed on the team, uh, the place of UEFA because. There's yeah. no need to have multiple group rounds. If it's supposed to be the best of the best, like it was pre the 2000s, you had to win your league to be able to get into it. Thus, it's the creme de la creme of the team. And then obviously... Think um, of the strength of the leagues. Because if you have the, the champion from Romania or Denmark or Sweden, small countries with not as many competitive teams and strong teams as you'll find in England and Germany and Spain and all that. You have like, and, and that's the truth about it. You look at the league and I, can, and I can witness that. I've played in it. So I know if you look at the Greek league, for example, the way it's been going on with professional basketball, I'm talking. You have Panathinaikos and Olympiakos that are running through the competition, running like monstrously. And you have another two, three teams that are very competitive on the European scene. But once you get to the sixth, seventh spot in the league, there's a big drop off in, in, in level of competition. And those teams would not qualify in the playoffs in the French league or Spanish team or, or Italian league. They would not, simply. And you have less teams and it's a smaller country. And, and that's what it is. And when you look at how homogeneous the French league is, for example, every year, you don't have as many teams, even though now it has changed with Asvel and, uh, and Monaco. They're doing great. They both play in the EuroLeague. They're winning games, beating great teams. So it has shifted, but it's just this year. I'm talking about the last 10 years. The last 10 years, the French League, you had 12 to 14 teams that were playoff worthy and that were really good, but they could not compete with EuroLeague teams. They were not good enough, but they were better than most of all of the middle section European level teams throughout all of Europe. So you see what I mean? When you're really Mm. thinking of like what the best competition is, you want the best of the best, but the best of the best doesn't mean the the team that wins each domestic league because the the Romanian champion is not as good as the third team or fourth team in France. Not even even close to being as good as the fifth or sixth team sometimes. Holland, all these different European countries that are smaller or don't have as many good teams 
if you go with this, the old format where it's like only the national champion of each domestic league make it to the Champions League. The, 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 the format is more senseful in the sense of rewarding the, the real Champions League. These are the champions of each league and the champion of the champions will be the champion. Yeah, okay. But if you think of real level of competition, the format of today has brought it up to the ultimate level because now you have the best of the best from everywhere. And yes, it is that dictated a lot by money and you're definitely right about that. And that's the, the it's, it's a travesty. But at the end of the day, it's still harder today to win it than it was 20 years ago. Are you happy to see that basketball has done something similar then the, to, to kind of go, I can't remember which is the difference. Uh, so you got EuroLeague at the top, you got Champions yeah. League, Euro Cup. Are you happy to kind of see that happening more to, not reward, but say you get knocked out of, um, the Champions League obviously going to Euro Cup. You, you're quite happy to see that so actually, kind of tears. Yeah, you want me to explain to you exactly how it works? Which yeah, go on, be, go on. Yeah, it could be extremely confusing for for the for the the, the people not that didn't specialize in it, and I, and I know, and I'm sorry for that because I know the the basketball fans sometimes are confused, and they should be because they're all those those different rivalries, the FIBA and EuroLeague fighting against each other for. Um, for the, the, the their beliefs and ah, it's not it's not good. So the Euro Cup is directly linked to the Euro League. So Euro League and Euro Cup are independent of everything else. They are not FIBA. And uh, the way it goes is the Euro League is a closed league, and that's what the FIBA has been fighting against because in opposition of what the UEFA with football is doing, you still have the opportunity to qualify, like le- legitimately with your actual domestic league results. The French national champion, the runner-up, directly qualified to the Champions League, and the, and the team that finishes third in the standings will go to the preliminary round. And that's no matter what, no matter who. It could be the, like a Leicester, for example. Leicester made it to the, to the Champions League. Why? Because they won the Premier League. That's the reason. In the Euro League, that does not happen. You have the, you have the teams that... Um, have a permanent residency. You have teams that have three to four year residency and the teams that have a one or two year wild card. And the EuroLeague, it's at the discretion of the EuroLeague and they give a ticket each year to the EuroCup winner. So imagine how difficult it is to, to, to go in there. And the reason Monaco is in the EuroLeague now is because they won the EuroCup. We would have never had two French teams uh, if it wasn't for Monaco winning the EuroCup. So it's super difficult. So the FIBA created the Champions League to rival the EuroLeague and say, look, if you don't want to give access to the teams that fight every year to compete and try to win a national championship in their domestic leagues, then we're going to create our own competition that's going to rival yours. And the fact is they succeeded. They managed to do something that the NBA identifies to, and there's now the NBA and the FIBA talking and getting closer. And EuroLeague is losing a lot of money, brother. They're losing a lot of money. A lot of teams are in deficit. So that, that model is not the best. For example, the winner of the Champions League earns $500,000. The winner of the Euro Cup only gets $250,000. So, and more teams get that. Like the, 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 the final four participants each get $250,000. So there are more financial incentives for teams to part in like to take uh, to take part of the Champions League than it is for them to go to the Euro Cup. 
So that, that that's what you have to uh, to acknowledge is that the 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 way Euroleague goes does not really promote uh, um, athletic accomplishment. It promotes financial power and geographical uh, prestige. They want a team in Paris. They want teams in the big capitals in Europe, and they want teams to represent all of Europe, and they want the big markets. And they want you to have a 10,000-seat arena. If you have less than 5,000, you are not allowed to compete. And you see, that's, that's the kind of league they're creating. And FIBA is fighting against that because they're trying to the best of their ability to keep those teams fighting and trying to accomplish things athletically, even though they may have the smallest budget, even though they don't have the best arenas. But they want to keep that spirit of sportsmanship and accomplishing things through athletic greatness and not just financial power. Well, there's one there's one city that's missing out of all that. And in terms, of, from a basketball perspective, obviously, we lag. Now, I I wouldn't say how big the divide is when when it comes to the UK, London, London, and <laughs> yeah. and the UK and British basketball as a whole. Um, obviously, competed in the home Olympics. Yeah, did okay. Yeah. It's um, a travesty because uh, you have the 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 infrastructures. But at the end of the day, culturally, you guys are a football nation, and uh, and it's well, difficult. There, it's the it's the most dom it's the most I won't say dominant. It's the most recreational sport played. Yeah, at, at an amateur level than anything. Yeah, but it comes down to accessibility of, and this came up. Uh, something I read with obviously with France, it's a lot easier that don't need just a gymnasium to play basketball. They got access to to outside. If I just use where I live, the amount yeah. of basketball courts that have gone, yeah, it's gone yeah. from I, I've got one in my town. There used to be three or four, yeah, and exactly, it, and no nets. And 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 the problem is once again culturally when you when you look at it. And I've had a, a close friend of mine coaching in the in the BBL and. Uh, and it's it's poor in the sense of the investments the budgets the, the salaries of the in the league so you have a few teams that um that structured themselves and have enough financial power to well L- london definitely that london definitely ha- it, it's whether or not they have there is no you talk about the royals no no as in the lions uh the lions yeah okay be in terms of they've had some investment pumped into them and you see, yeah. well, obviously they won. They won the first time in Europe. It's not. It's a, It's not the first. It's the first time for that franchise, but it's a long time since the British team has won in Europe. Right. And oh, if you go back to the days of me being a kid, um, my uh, aunt used to live in Manchester. So Manchester Giants used to be very, very good. But played played in a big arena because they had American money. Right. Um, right. 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 So that's you're talking the mid '90s, and and the league is sponsored by big companies Budweiser yeah. uh, it's on Sky Sports it's a back on Sky Sports but they're played in smaller arenas um, and obviously it comes down to having a good GM good coaching and yeah. obviously and London- it, but it has to be an, it has to be a common effort it has to be the, the league um, promoting it the, promoting itself the right way to bring in big sponsors and it has to be a shift also with like governmental power in the sense of promoting basketball, making basketball um, 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 a pathway for, for young athletes and, and the youth overall to, to get invested in. 
Because once again, if you don't have playgrounds available in the inner city, in the, in, the, in the hood, where kids now can go out there and have fun, stay out of trouble, get invested uh, with, uh, with local teams and, and have a structure where you have a lot of teams and you have good coaches and you have a federation that is involved and trying to build successful programs, have national teams competing at, at the highest level in all of youth, um, in all youth categories, men and women and women and women. Because the thing is, you can't, you can't just overlook that side. You have to include everybody. That's why I insist on it. Uh, if you look at France in the youth uh, categories, like men and women, they're just murdering. They get, they're racking up medals every year, under 16, under 18, under 20. The, um, the U19 men's team just won silver at the World Cup against the US. Like, um, like that's what you, you need to have. And when you look at the athletic potential of, of, of Great Britain, you have a lot of great athletes and you find them in track and field. So why don't you have better basketball players? You do, you have them. Uh, some of them now play in college basketball. I think about Brian Manning, who I played with professionally, who was one of the best players in, uh, in the BBL. You need to have more of that. I played with Teddy Okafor uh, uh, also uh, as well, who's a national team player. And um, we, we were teammates in Greece. You have talent. You have guys that can compete. Now you just need to structure the, the league and the federation as a whole to, to become a real player in the game. But so far, I think that's what's disappointing, especially when you've had the, the Olympic Games at home. Explain to me how you don't have basketball as one of the main sports being played out there. You guys don't play handball. You don't play volleyball. You don't play rugby. So what's going on? I, you have everything available to you athletic potential and guys that, that, that are willing to play team sports. They play football. Basketball is definitely something seductive. And the, and the UK scene has great hip hop culture. They, uh, they, they, they have a, 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 a culture very similar when you think of it to the American culture on many levels. So there is no excuse at this point for the UK not to be a factor in European basketball. I think it's just a lack of, of will of many, many different actors in the uh, British government and, and the British sports world that make it that Britain is, is disappointing so far. Well, that's why when I look at London from the outside, I think they kind of, they're not way in. Okay, we'll, do, we'll be the first team in Europe. Um, obviously, it was in lockdown last year. Didn't make it this year. Obviously, I watched the game against Trivi, so that was... Eventually, Patrice was able to pull away, but I was thinking, well, they should be able to beat a team. And you're going to tell me that you can, you guys cannot compete in 3x3? You you need less great players to compete. Like, all you got to find is literally a group of six competitive guys, like very competitive, six. With six, you can build a national team program that can make damage on the international scene. And that's the truth of it. That's the beauty of it. Five on five is more difficult because you need to build a group of 15 and more because you have to be able to, to manage the injuries or, or rebuild in case of like an older generation just walking out the game and bringing a new generation. But with 3x3, a team is four players. A group to be able to work with and build is six. You're going to tell me that Great Britain cannot find six competitive players at the highest level for them to build 
professional teams and have a national team competing at the highest level. Come on, man. I mean, and, and that would be an opportunity maybe to start. Like if five on five is too far fetched or too difficult to structure, three x three is not involving the same logistic. So you you should be able to uh, to find answers to the to that problem. And and three x three is so <coughs> excuse me, three x three is so aligned with the hip hop culture with with the playground culture, knowing what you guys have in the UK. You have the best hip hop scene in the world outside the US. You got the best um, underground scene. Come on, man. It's, it's right there. It's right there. So I don't know who we need to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we need to do, but, but, but it's right there, man. It's right there. We're coming to the end of the show, uh, Angelos. And obviously, I think you and I could probably talk for ages. For sure. So I'm going to, I'm going to, bring it to a close unfortunately That's and okay. i asked this of every guest if you had to sit down with any athlete dead or alive for that matter who would that be and why wow i was not prepared for that question <laughs> who would that be and why hmm. give me a moment because i don't want to mess that one up i don't want to regret my answer. <laughs> An athlete. Who and why? Um, you know what? I think I would want to sit down with Mahmoud Abdul Rav, uh, known as uh, Chris Jackson, his birth name, Mahmoud Abdul Rav now. He is a scientist of the game. He's, uh, he's Muslim. He's dealt with a lot of things. He's uh, suffering from the Tourette's uh, disease or syndrome. I don't know how you call it. And he's managed to have an extremely successful professional career. And his skill set is unparalleled. He was the Steph Curry of the NBA before Steph Curry. Um, and I know of many people that that have met him that he's very humble and very approachable. Mm -hmm. So I think I would love to be able to just chat basketball with him, chat life with him and just learn from his experience. And uh, I think it'd be very interesting. So my, my first choice as of today probably would be Mahmoud Abdul-Rav. Okay. And my last question before we wrap up the episode is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today, into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Bring basketball to Great Britain. <laughs> but uh, I, I think for, for people to take away, uh, we've approached many different topics and we've, uh, I think we've educated uh, people on European basketball, the way it works, uh, what the main challenges are. So I think, um, a takeaway would be the intricacies of European basketball. I don't know if I pronounced it right. Intricacies? I don't worry about it. <laughs> In terms of the amount of mistakes people make with the English language nowadays. But did I say it right? Intricacies? Now you've got me thinking about I'm going to make the mistake again, so I'm going to pass. It's close <laughs> enough. Um, uh, it's not an easy word to say, but generally things the, well the easy way for you to say it in future the ins and outs 
or the subtleties, the subtleties yeah. of European basketball. So once again, Angelos, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I, I've talked a lot. Uh, I, I didn't give you too many opportunities to talk, but I guess I was your guest. So <laughs> that's how it works. Well, that's good. So once again, Angelos, thanks again. It's Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it. Anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below. And I would love to hear from you. Come and connect and ask your questions. I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hoth. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute, not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete.